You're listening to audio from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. If you'd like to learn more about Parkview, find more resources, or give to our ministry, please visit parkviewchurch.org. Oh, good morning. Good morning. How's everyone doing today? Good. I'm glad to hear it. Well, last week was a really fun week where we kicked off the ministry year together. We had a big party. Uh, It was extremely hot and sweaty, but we made the most of it, and it was so fun to to just celebrate what the Lord has done and look forward to what this year will hold. So that's awesome. Now, um, we had last week a Connect event at the end of the service, and it was fun to get to know a few new faces around here and get them plugged into different Parkview ministries. Uh, we're going to do that same thing today. Dave will remind you at the end of the service, um, but out in the atrium, you can join me and some Parkview leaders and get to know people. If you're new here, you just have been here for a while and you want to learn a little bit more and get plugged in a little deeper, that's just for you. If you're someone who loves to just have a guide that shows you everything, Uh, So you can see what's going on. There's also a ministry guide for that very purpose, a printed out uh, thing that you can look at. And those are at the Connect Center as you walk out right in the the middle of the lobby. So take a look at those things. And uh, as we launch into this new season, we want to be on the same page and well connected. So with that said, uh, we're going to dive into Luke today. That's where we're going to be. You can turn in your Bibles to Luke. The Gospel of Luke will be in chapter 1. And we'll be in that first sentence of Luke. It's four verses, but just one sentence. And the first sentence of a book can tell you a lot about what's coming next. Uh, Maybe you've experienced this. I thought I'd share a few examples. Here we are, a city of literature. Let's see. It is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife. (laughs) Anyone remember that one? That's Pride and Prejudice. Jane Austen, A, a popular book, right? It was the best of times, it was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom, it was the age of foolishness. It was the epoch, you know that one? There we go, Charles Dickens. The best-selling book written in English of all time. I don't know if you knew that, 200 million copies, I didn't know that. How about this one? Might be a little broader audience for this one. Once there were four children whose names were Peter, Susan, Edmund, and Lucy. There you go, that would be The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, C.S. Lewis. A classic. Now, if you've read those books, you know, you, you realize those sentences in themselves, they don't say a lot. They don't give you a lot of information. Uh, you might think of Moby Dick, the first line, call me Ishmael. And yet it does, it gives you a sense of what's coming. Uh, Moby Dick is full of mystery and sort of metaphor. And it's, that's kind of, you hear that even in that first sentence. And then those that I shared, Pride and Prejudice, you hear what the story's kind of about. You get a sense of who the characters will be and what the main idea is going to be. And today's passage is just the same. It's one long, complex, florid, beautiful sentence. And in just four verses, we get a glimpse into the Gospel of Luke, into its tone, into its aim, into the manner in which it was composed uh, and put together. It's well-researched and its major themes. And so let's turn there and read it together. Luke 1, verses 1 through 4. And it says this, Inasmuch as many have taken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. 
This is God's word. Now zoom in on that last verse, verse 4. We'll talk about everything else in this passage, but notice right from the beginning Luke's driving point, his purpose statement, his so that, his why, that you may have certainty. You can have certainty. Resolute trust, firm conviction. Don't you need that? Did anyone here come today hoping to live a doubtful, half-hearted, disinterested version of Christianity? I didn't think so. That's not worth getting up in the morning for. But on the other hand, can you imagine yourself and a group of people dedicated themselves to profound certainty about who Jesus is, what he said, and why it matters? In fact, you'd have to say a church would be measured by their certainty about who Jesus is. You'd see them living out life for Christ based on the certainty that they have about who he is and what he has done. And what if God came through for those people and delivered on his promise of certainty? And what if God put steel in their spines and courage in their hearts and set them on fire and bound them together around an undefeated, undefeatable, resurrected king? get out of their way. (laughs) That can be us. That can be you. And that's why God put the Gospel of Luke in the Bible for us, for you today. And so if you hear nothing else today, I want you to hear this. Seek certainty. Seek certainty. I'm going to add a few dot, dot, dots at the end as we go. I want you to leave this room here today with greater confidence in the Bible itself, greater confidence in this passage, in in the message of the Gospel of Luke, and overall greater confidence in the living, abiding presence of Jesus among us. We can walk away with that today. So I'll I'll simply put it this, this way. God would encourage each of us today to seek certainty about the Word and to seek certainty about Jesus, who is, of course, God's living Word. But as we go there, let's pray together. Father in heaven, we do praise you, we honor you, we love you, we praise you for the gift of your word. You are great. Only a great God could give us this book, and you do great things, Lord. Your word is trustworthy and true, and I ask as we begin this study of the book of Luke that you would bless our efforts greatly. Bless our understanding, open our minds so we can learn and really understand. Would you bless our commitment, bless our community as we learn from this book together? Lord, I pray that we would look back from from here a year from now and wonder at all that you have taught us about your son from this book. Lord, we know that's what you want. Please do it. And Lord, uh, I pray now um, for students who started back this week at school, uh, a new challenge, a fresh set of realities for them to navigate, and I pray that you would help them, help those students to focus and learn, help them to make good friends, um, and help them to have peace that passes understanding, and help them, help our Christian students to share the light of Christ with their classmates, Um, give them courage to do so. 
I pray also for the parents of students, whether, whether students here or students somewhere else. Lord, I pray you'd help them to adjust well to this new season. Help them to establish good and healthy routines of life as a family that honor you and that are helpful. Help them to cope personally and spiritually so that they can be encouraging and helpful to their children as they grow in Christ. And Lord, give them peace. Pray all this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. So we're launching into Luke and we're seeking certainty. Luke is the longest book in the New Testament, 24 chapters. Uh, and it's, of course, part one of a two-part series that Luke wrote regarding the early history of Jesus and his church. The other part being Acts. Okay, don't be loud and proud. Okay, the book of Acts, that's right. Uh, and in fact, often scholars refer to it as Luke-Acts, as if it's one word. So these are both written by uh, a man called Luke. Uh, we're going to be in this book for some time, probably close to two years, uh, with some breaks, some pauses uh, in the summer and for the Advent series, for instance, and Easter time, things like that. But we're going to be here for quite a while. We're, gonna, we're not rushing our way through it. We're going to be slow and enjoy it. So uh, it's a good time to get familiar with the book of Luke. Uh, these next few weeks would be a great time for you to sit down and just in one sitting read through the book of Luke. Probably take you a couple hours, just like a movie would. You can do that. I'm sure you could read through Luke uh, and just get a lay of the land. Today I'm going to give you a bit of a preview, but that'll help you a lot as well. So here we go. First, we're going to seek certainty about the word. Seek certainty about the word. So in these first three verses, we see Luke make his argument for why you should trust his book. Let's take a look back at that in verses one through three. It says, inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. And then he gives his conclusion. And this is what everything else is driving toward, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. So what comes before that are the reasons that you can have certainty. Everything else is coming before this. So that means here are the reasons that you can trust my orderly account. So what are those things? Well, first of all, before I even dive into that, I want to just point something out. There's a certain school of thought uh, in the Christian world that in order to have faith in God, you essentially need to, to divorce yourself from human reason that you basically, that all faith should be and almost ought to be and just blind faith. You shouldn't need reasons, you shouldn't need argument, you shouldn't need logic, um, and that if you have doubts or questions about the Bible that you feel like you haven't yet resolved, that that's actually a matter of disbelief. And yet Luke here begins his gospel uh, by offering logical reasoning for why you can trust his account, why you can have certainty about the words that he's written, the word of God. And so if you're here and you have questions about the Bible, you have doubts that are not yet resolved, and maybe you've even been scared to express them to someone, I hope you can see right off the bat, and this will be a theme throughout the book of Luke, we'll come back to it time and time again, back to these first four verses, that the Bible is not asking you to just sort of sit down, shut up, and believe. What we will find is that God has anticipated your concerns in the book of Luke, and that the Bible has better answers to the questions that we really deal with than anything else out there. And we can live with profound certainty about what those are. 
So having said that, what are the reasons? What are the reasons Luke gives? So first, what we're going to see is Luke gives some background or some precedence in verse 1. And then he's going to tell us about his sources in verse 2. And he's going to tell about his method in verse 3. It's going to feel a little bit like we're going to school before we go to church. But that's okay. We're going to learn together. So first, Luke, ins- Luke inspires certainty in us by describing the background of his book or the precedence of his book. See that in verse 1. Inasmuch as many... Many have undertaken, many other people have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us. And so Luke begins here, Luke begins by placing himself alongside the community of eyewitnesses and their associates who have worked to put together the story of who Jesus is. He's saying, I'm standing in line with them, those people who have done this, to produce a credible account. He's establishing his place as a scholar, so to speak. Um, Keep in mind, this book is written in the middle of the first century, probably in the early 60s AD, and this is just when Jesus' original 12 disciples have begun to die. They've begun to die. And so, previous to this, up to this point, the authoritative account of Jesus' life, of his works, and of his claims uh, were being preserved and guarded and transmitted verbally by the people who were there for those events. And that was, of course, a very reliable way to do that. Um, they, they had that, and they would transmit it to the people. We see that First 1 Timothy 2.2, what you've heard from me and trust to faithful witnesses will be able to share them with others also. And yet those people were beginning to die. And so how were they going to preserve that, that knowledge and guard the truth of what had been said concerning Jesus? And so they said, we need to start writing these things down. Uh, and that's where we got these things that we call Gospels, the four accounts of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And we have four of those accounts in our Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right at the beginning of the New Testament. Matthew was written by one of Jesus' 12 disciples. Mark was written by a man called John Mark, who was a companion and, uh, of another one of Jesus' 12 disciples, Peter, and he wrote down Peter's recollections. That's how we understand the Gospel of Mark to be written. John, which comes after Luke, was written by another one of Jesus' 12 original disciples. They wanted to preserve for future generations, including us, Praise God. We don't have to go by, you know, hearsay and hopeful thinking about who Jesus was. We have four trustworthy accounts of what Jesus said and what he did and why it matters. Uh, We understand Luke to be written by a non-Jewish or Gentile physician and historian who traveled the world with the Apostle Paul, we learned in the book of Acts, in Jerusalem and throughout the ancient world. So he had personal first-hand contact with these sources. So uh, Luke begins, therefore, by, by putting himself alongside Matthew, Mark, and John as credible accounts of what happened when Jesus was on earth. Now, it's worth mentioning Mark and Matthew died for their words. They died for the accounts that they wrote. Our New Testament is written in blood. They, how's that for a test of certainty? Would you die for it? Luke, he didn't, and yet he, he lived his life with profound certainty. He is passing that on to us. Luke is self-consciously writing history. The way to avoid a bad end as a New Testament writer would just be to say, no, 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 no. (laughs) It's just a story. (laughs) Just inspirational tales. You know, leadership fables and uh, moral lessons about a gifted teacher. That's not what they said. They said, I'll die. I'll bleed for this. And many of them did. That's what you need, by the way. If you're seeking certainty, (laughs) 
People who have died for it have passed these things on to us. And so he begins by showing us the background, the precedence. He's putting himself alongside these men. Next in verse 2, Luke inspires certainty about the word by pointing to his sources. Where did he get this stuff? Where did Luke find these stories? He says, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, those who carried out the preaching of the gospel, they have delivered them to us. That is, that community of people who are putting together these gospel accounts. Luke is telling us that the way he got these stories was by collecting eyewitness testimony from the men and women who walked with Jesus, who heard his teaching, who saw his miracles, who saw the effect that he had, who saw him do the miraculous things that he did. These aren't second-hand, third-hand, fourth-hand accounts. These are the first-hand accounts of people who were there, the people who put their finger in Jesus' side and saw there is a hole in his hand. Uh, Luke did his homework. And I want to mention something here, and this, this is related, not exactly here, but about how we can have confidence that a book like the Gospel of Luke, Matthew, Mark, and, and throughout the New Testament, that we can have confidence in what we have there. And I'm really excited because it's the first time I get to use a laser pointer on stage. Okay, here we go. Uh, so this is, a, this is a graph that shows the transmissional reliability of the New Testament. How can we be confident that the books, the words that we have in our Bible are true to what was written 2,000 years ago when the Gospel of Luke, for instance, was written. Well, on the right-hand side, we have secular works of history. I'll try to do it on both screens so you can see. These yellow ones. So there's things like Homer, and you can see if you look closely. I can send this out if you want. Uh, come up and talk to me afterward. And what each number is and the size of that, that circle represents is the number of copies that we have that we've found. And so uh, over here, this pale pink one, is total New Testament translations. That means from Greek to a different language that were found in the ancient period. And the smaller one is the original New Testament Greek one. So you can see uh, of New Testament Greek, almost 5,800 copies have been found. And if you didn't have this graph, you'd think, is that a good number? <laughs> like, is that a lot? Well, uh, here's number two in the ancient world is Homer. And by the way, since, since this, uh, this, this uh, picture is actually five years old, and since then, that number is no longer 5,800, it's closer to 6,000. Over 100 have been found just in the last five years. Uh, and then you go here to the total of New Testament translations, and we've got a pi r squared problem, because it looks about a little, just a little bit bigger than the other one, uh, but actually it's 18,000, 18, I should say, 18,000 copies of the New Testament in different languages. What that means is that we can take those, put them together, and scholars can say with a high degree of certainty, um, because we have so many copies, what actually was original, what was added later, and therefore not part of the original statements that Luke put together. And when we read our New Testament, here's the reality. We can be more confident that we have a faithful recording of the words of Jesus than for any other person that lived in ancient history. And this should also tell you, it's not even close. <laughs> it's orders of magnitude larger um, than than any other uh, book that we have from the ancient world. So as you read your Bible, I hope that inspires confidence in you. And that's one of the things Luke is saying, sources. I have these sources that I've put together, and we have these sources as we look at the New Testament as a whole that we can have confidence, certainty. Isn't that what you'd want? If I'm gonna base my life on something and bleed for it and die for it, Luke, is it well attested? Do I have the right words? We do. So have confidence as you read your Bible. So then Luke finally gives us certainty about the word by describing his method 
the way that he went through it, the, his process uh, as he went through and put together his gospel. He says in verse 3, you know, following, having followed things closely for some time past, it seemed good to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. You see that word Theophilus, name Theophilus. He's writing to this man uh, who, who's likely his patron. He supported Luke's scholarly work financially so that he could go and travel and meet these people. Um, and it's clear, however, this is meant for a wider audience for us too. Uh, but Luke explains that he has carefully investigated the claims of Jesus. He has interviewed the eyewitnesses. He's collected testimonies. And, and in so doing, he has written an orderly account, a, a carefully composed, diligently edited uh, presentation, his best work to put together who Jesus was, why it matters. That, when you pick up your Bible, is what you have in your hands. It's one of God's great divine gifts that he tells us who he is. He tells us in four-dimensional view who Jesus is, four different perspectives, four different accounts that are different but complementary. You might notice, too, that verses one through four, it's one long sentence in English, and that's because it's one long sentence in the original Greek. I had trouble translating it because it's just, it's complicated Greek. It's, it's florid, it's beautifully written, it's, it's complex. And that's because Luke was writing using the writing conventions of ancient Greek historiography. And actually, if you look at the, the ancient Greek sort of rhetoric guides, he's using some of the exact phrases and ways that they would have laid this out. And so I, my sense is if this were written today, it would look something, something like this. I put this together just as sort of an example of what it might look like. I think it's what we think of as sort of a scholarly paper to be published to say, what I'm putting together here is, is true stuff. Uh, I've carefully researched it. I will show you my sources. My footnotes are in there. He puts names of people that we don't need to know at all. Cleopas on the road to Emmaus. We don't need to know his name. Rufus and Alexander, the sons of the guy who isn't named who carried the cross of Jesus, why do they matter? They're his footnotes. He's saying, look, if you don't believe me, go and ask. He's still alive. Rufus will tell you if I'm lying. Didn't, didn't his dad carry the cross? He did, that's right. And you saw him die, right? He was 100% dead, right? And Rufus will tell you if I wasn't right. He's, he's footnoting. He's putting together a careful account. You can be certain today. You can be certain that God's word is trustworthy. And as we preach through the book of Luke, as we learn through it, through all the ways that we have in your community groups, as you discuss it, as you listen to our podcast, as we give previews of what's coming with each preaching sermon, Luke wants you to have certainty about the word of God, about what it is. And you can have that. He also wants us, of course, to seek certainty about Jesus himself, uh, not just about the integrity of his writing, but about the integrity of the subject of his writing. So we can seek certainty about Jesus. So take a look back then at verses three and four. You see in verse four, he says, that you may have certainty, not, not general certainty, he goes on and says, you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. So Luke's goal is not just for a general sense of certainty about his book, although I hope you've gotten that from this point on, um, but that his readers would have certainty concerning those things they already knew. Taught, that's a past tense verb. They have already been taught to them. Theophilus already knows some things about God. Are not a total rookie, not a total newbie. He knows his way around the Bible somewhat, and yet Luke's aim for certainty is simple. 
every one of us in this room stands in a certain sense where Theophilus stood. We have been taught some things. Even if you're very unfamiliar with the Bible, you know some things, I'm sure, about God. Whatever Theophilus knew and whatever you know today, Luke's prescription for certainty about your faith is to learn more about Jesus. Learn more. Learn more about Jesus. Where are you at? Have you been walking with Christ for the last 35 years and grown tremendously and you're serving the church? You know what Jesus wants you to do? Learn more about Jesus. Have you, have you just shown up here and you're not really sure what's going on and who is this guy on stage? Do they really listen to someone just talk for 35 minutes every week? <laughs> Guess what? You know what Luke's prescription for you is? Learn more about Jesus. Are you somewhere in between? Because most of us are. You know what Luke's prescription is? Learn more about Jesus. Here's how you can get certain. Look at Jesus. Jesus is God's airtight claim about who he is. If you wanted to know what God would look like if he became a human and walked around, read the Gospel of Luke. Read the Gospel of Luke. You can seek, seek certainty about Jesus by doing that. Now, at Parkview, this is very important to us. This is very... Does that sound like the understatement of the century? This is very important to us. Our vision is to become a whole church that forms whole disciples of Jesus for the good of all people. And we define a whole disciple as a forgiven child of God who's taking the next step, not the next giant leap, but the next step. We can all do that. That's safe for us. We can do that. The next step to learn Jesus, to love Jesus, and to live Jesus. And that's because when Jesus describes what it means to follow him, he says that it involves every part of our being, our minds as we learn Jesus, our hearts, our affections as we love Jesus and begin to feel things in a new way, and our strength, our love, our actual actions, our will. We begin to actually show that we're certain about Jesus by following him in new ways. And so these four gospels are ground zero for us as we seek to fulfill that mission. I mean, where else can we go? We just sang it. Where else can we go to encounter Jesus? What else do we have? What else do we have but this? God has given you this book. God has given you the gospel of Luke. And this week and through these, this next year, two years that we're in it, this is God's gift to you to invite you into profound certainty about who Jesus is. And my challenge to you, even as I'm sharing these things, is to approach this book with a new degree of intentionality and, and fresh purpose. Jesus wants to meet with you. Jesus wants to reveal himself to you. He's holding nothing back. If, if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, this is really perfect for you. You are getting in at the ground level and, and we are looking at the primary sources of Jesus' life, his claims from his followers. And Luke is, is going to answer your questions. And I hope as you talk with people here and you make some friendships, you'll find people who want to help do that with you. If you're here and you're a Christian, you heard it. My challenge to you is to take the start of this series in the Gospel of Luke as an opportunity that the Lord himself is presenting you an opportunity to renew your pursuit of Christ, to seek a new step of faith that the Lord might be leading you toward. You can learn more. That is Luke's prescription. You can learn more. If you feel stale right now, spiritually stale, spiritually stuck, spiritually shallow in your relationship with Christ, why not make this your flag in the ground moment 
to say, I am committed to become certain about who Jesus is. I'm ready for a fresh experience of grace. And as we prepare for this journey together, I, I want to give you just a couple of themes, two big themes that we're going to see as we go through the book of Luke. The first is that the, the gospel of Luke is full of surprising reversals. Surprising reversals. And we know in each gospel we get a slightly different view of who Jesus is. Matthew really focuses on Jesus as king and his new definition of morality in particular. Um, Mark has a different view. Luke in particular, is a, is, he focuses on the theme of surprising reversals. Bring them all together, we got that four-dimensional view. But Luke, theme of uh, surprising reversals. Uh, as Luke tells the story of Jesus, he tells a story of surprising community. Uh, throughout Luke, we see that the people that Jesus is most drawn to and the people that are most drawn to Jesus are not at all the people that we would expect. <laughs> Luke points this out. In fact, the people you most expect to be saved as you read the Gospel of Luke, the religious leaders, the the up the the upright, the righteous, according to human standards, are often the people who are lost. And, and the people you expect to be lost, okay, the sinners, are the people that turn out to be most likely to come near to Jesus. Luke highlights how we as humans tend to build walls to salvation where, Jesus, where God has built a window to come in, a door. Luke wants to show us that God chooses the least likely and we'll never really understand his salvation until we begin to see ourselves as among the least likely. As we begin to identify with the lost and see the lostness that still exists inside of us and that brought us to Jesus in the first place. So consider just the first couple chapters of Luke so you can kind of see what I mean. In Luke 1, next week, Mark will come and preach, we'll have two characters, Zechariah and Mary. Both of them receive a visit from the angel Gabriel they're both disturbed, which makes sense. I would be too. Um, and the angel Gabriel comes and announces that a child will be born into their family. It's a shock for both of them. Um, for Zechariah, because he's so old and him and his wife are well past the age of childbearing. And for Mary, because she hasn't even gotten to that point yet, not even married. Both realize that it would be impossible, humanly speaking, for a child to be born. But Zechariah, who in our minds would be the most likely the priest, the, with a steady job and a stable income. In the pre as long as people are sinning, Zechariah is making an income. Okay? Uh, a stable social and religious footing. What does, how does Zechariah respond? How shall these things be? Prove it. <laughs> and, and Mary, on the other hand, the teen girl, uh, the poor and uneducated girl from the wrong side of town, Believes. Let it be as the Lord has said. Let it be for me. In Luke 2, Luke highlights the lowly, stinky, deceitful shepherds. Shepherds. Lowest rung of society. Anyone can be a shepherd. That was the, that was the attitude. Instead of, in Matthew's gospel, where he highlights the kingly nature of Jesus, and he says, who comes to visit? The wise men, bearing gifts, showing him to the royal king. In Luke 3, John the Baptist insults the Pharisees, religious insiders by anyone's reckoning, as a brood of vipers who could be just as easily replaced by God with a pile of stones. 
Uh, in Luke 15, we preached this not long ago in our, in our uh, um, oh my goodness, in an earlier series, Parables, Parable series is the story of two lost sons, uh, a profoundly lost son who leaves home and goes and lives in reckless living, and a, a, a good, upright son who stays home and follows daddy's rules. Which one's saved? The prodigal. And the older son seems to be lost. Luke shows us that Jesus had a different idea about morality, a different idea about community, and a different idea about salvation that we ever would have imagined in our own human understanding. We'll learn from Luke about a surprisingly uh, inclusive community. The people we thought would be out are in. The people we think would be out in are out. Second, Luke gives us his understanding of Jesus' life and mission. See this in Luke 19.10, if we move forward a little bit. Uh, This is in the story of Zacchaeus, who is another example of the outsider we all would have put on the outside of salvation, who Jesus somehow brings in. He says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That's why we've entitled this series, Seek and Save, the Gospel of Luke. We'll come back to again and again the idea that Jesus is God in human flesh, come to save the lost. And do we realize what that means? <laughs> that Jesus came to seek and to save. Whatever ends that sentence, we need to be profoundly certain that we are in it. <laughs> that we fit into that category. That we fit into the way that Jesus himself defines what his mission is. Our proclivity is to end that sentence with something besides that word. <laughs> the Son of Man came to seek and to save the winners, the achievers, the hardworking, those who submit, those who are really serious, those like me. Instead, who does he come to seek and to save? The lost. Maybe we're so used to that phrase and that expression that it's kind of lost its shockingness to us. He came to seek and to save the lost. You know, people like Zacchaeus who have basically ruined their lives and they're sitting in the bombed out rubble of their existence wondering what is ever going to happen to me. It's hard to admit you're lost. It's Isaiah's word he used when he saw the glory of God in the temple and God called him. Isaiah 6, he said, Woe is me, for I am lost. I'm lost. I'm a man of unclean lips. But it's the only qualification that Jesus gives to come to him. Are you lost enough to find Jesus? Aware enough of his holiness that you'd come to him? And as we study the Gospel of Luke, not just looking to learn about him, but to learn from him? to be eager for him to come to you, to be your tutor and guide to what godliness actually is and what a life of meaning and purpose actually is and to let him redefine what good and wrong is for you. Let's open ourselves up in this season to be surprised by the gospel of Luke. None of us in this room is currently overestimating Jesus. All of us should consider the possibility, the reality, that we have barely scraped the surface of who he is. And that's good news. That is good news for us today. Let's be honest. Our knowledge is all that it could be. That's good news. Our experience of Jesus is not all that it could be. He's not holding back from you. 
in this season, together, we can ask Jesus to become more real to us through the Gospel of Luke than he ever has been before. He is eager to reveal himself to you. He is holding nothing back. He is not hiding. In fact, he says, I am standing at the door and knocking. Let's, in this season, decide to open up the door to Jesus and let him come into our lives in a fresh and radical new way. You will not be disappointed. You will be changed, if we're reading rightly. And as Luke says, you can be saved to seek and to save the lost. So let's set our hearts toward this, and will you pray with me that that would happen? Father in heaven, we thank you for the gift of this gospel. We pray that we as a church, as individuals, as families, would, we would make the best possible use of the investment that you are making in us, that you began thousands of years ago as you set Luke on this journey to compile an orderly account of who Jesus is so that we can have certainty. Give us a, a new desire, a new longing, a new zeal, a new yearning for certainty about Jesus. We know you won't disappoint us if we come to you in that way. And so help us now to commit ourselves to grow from your words, to take a next step, whether it's in learning about Jesus, we, we ask for that, in loving Jesus more, changing our affections, or in living Jesus, Lord, the ultimate test of certainty. Will we put it on the line? Lord, help us to move all of our chips onto your faithfulness as we read Luke. For the good of our neighbors and for your glory, Lord, please bless our efforts in this way, we pray, amen.